Hey, how we doing? This is Psychotronic Cast. My name is Alec Berg, and joining me as always, but this time via satellite, is Derek Estes. You can and you should subscribe to us on whatever social media platform that you're listening to this on or that you see us on, that we are available on. Lots of ons, no offs. So check it out. Uh, our website, psychotronicast.com, has our backlog, a couple of short films that we made, some reviews, and a link to our Patreon page, which I will be getting into later on in the episode because i just want to get to this episode now i'm excited i can't believe it's taken this long to start a new series especially with this man so derek without further ado what the hell are you getting us into well yeah it it, uh seemed time to look at john waters movies from the 70s um it's kind of like his earlier rougher stuff like we've already done polyester and that was kind of like a transition movie between like the the earlier period uh, that was a little bit more shocking and uh, disgusting. And then to the later period, starting with hairspray that, um, you know, is a little bit more accessible to the masses. So I think it helped, you know, make John Waters the kind of uh, elder statesman and, you know, household name that he is now. Um, but yeah, so uh, starting things off, we're going to do multiple maniacs, which is, uh, his film from 1970, it's his second feature, but it's his first feature with, uh, like, dialogue. Um, he'd made one movie right before this called Mondo Trasho that was it's full length. It's a, like an hour and a half, but it's kind of like, uh, it's like wall-to-wall music. So it's kind of like uh, Scorpio Rising in a way, but there is some sort of, like, voiceover stuff that happens. But uh, this is the first one where, uh, you know, he's making a talkie, and do they ever talk? Um, and it was recently released, uh, just about five years ago. It was totally restored and was released by the Criterion Collection. Um, and it played in theaters. This one was, uh, kind of harder to find for quite a while. Like there was like musical rights issues, which Mondo Trasho has as well. That's why he'll probably never be released, uh, properly because there's just too much legal wrangling to get that happening. But, uh, this was really hard to find before they did it. Like I had only seen this before the restoration, like on YouTube, it popped up. Um, so yeah, this was, this is a great release of this movie. Okay. I was going to ask you, like, when was the first time you did see this movie? Yeah, I thought So like yeah, it was right before, before it was a little bit before the criteria. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, and it was pretty beat up like this. Um, yeah, they, they did such a good job with, <laughs> with the restoration. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty dynamite. Um, so yeah, this is your first time watching it, correct? How about Mon? Yeah, it's weird. I think. So I started watching the film, and then I'm like, that's so weird. I must have, like, seen this at Derek's, and we just totally forgot that I had seen this before. But I realized that I think you just showed me, like, a five-minute feature on it because I only knew certain parts. And I'm like, okay, cool. I must have seen something. Because when I went through all the special features um, after I was finished – with the film, I, I came across that Asian dude talking about the film for like five oh, minutes. And I'm like, I think that's what I saw. Oh, maybe. Um, so otherwise, yeah, I hadn't seen, I definitely hadn't seen like the last 20 minutes. I would remember <laughs> that, but I definitely had seen at least the first 10 or 15 minutes of this movie, or I saw the feature at before because some of it was familiar in uh, my head. Have you ever seen Mondo Trasho or is that like impossible? Yeah, no, that you, you can find that. That's the one I saw talking about that like is, um, because of all the wall-to-wall music is uh it won't probably ever get like a proper release 
that you can find. There was a VHS that came out in the 80s, and then it does pop up like on YouTube and stuff. Though I know John Waters is pretty good about trying to track it down and uh, flag them because, uh, yeah, he just doesn't want them being pirated. Um, but it is, if you if you want to find it, you can definitely find it out there. It looks pretty beat up, but um, it's still like really interesting. There's There's definitely some really cool stuff in it. Um, and it's interesting seeing everybody like it's all the the same like kind of cast and crew that he always uses the like the Dreamlanders, um, you know. But it's it's definitely a little rough around the edges. But there's definitely some really cool stuff in it. So I recommend it though. It, it's he's I think these first couple movies he's definitely like each one he gets progressively better and he's kind of you know fine tuning what his deal is. Um, but yeah. It's great. And the music is really dynamite. And that one, too, there's stuff where you know, it's like kind of like Scorpio Rising where there's like you know tons of music. But then uh, he will use snippets of things like, you know, maybe a line from a song and just like interject it in the middle of something else that you know plays towards what's happening on screen. Um, so it's, it's really interesting what he did. And it would it would be, I think, a, a tougher restoration project. Um to undertake i mean hopefully it does get preserved one way or another um so that you know whatever in a hundred years after all the rights issues aren't a problem anymore um people who would be curious to see john waters movies would be able to find it so it's it's cool well hopefully he'll still be alive so he can provide the commentary <laughs> because i absolutely adore john waters commentary on this film oh. i watched the movie twice i watched the movie I watched the first half of the film, like just regular one night, and then I had to call it. And then I was like, all right, I'll watch the second half um, the following day. And then I went to it. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe I'll just start the movie over again, this time with commentary, because I know he talks about it. And then I'll cut it off halfway through and then just go back to the regular. Yeah. And I did, but then I was like, fuck that. I want to hear what else he has to say about this. So then I watched the second half of the film with the commentary today. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, man, he's just. It's- the, I mean, I hope I have like that. I can remember like he remembers that many years beyond. Like I try to go like, okay, think about just random shit from like high school or whatever. I mean, that's not even going back that far. That's going back like fifteen, almost twenty years. Like he's talking about shit that happened fifty years oh, ago, yeah. and it's like it happened yesterday. I mean, it helps that like he constantly has to talk about his work, and that's how he makes well, a living. And also, yeah, and the he, fact that- he even says in his like you know, so much of the yes. stuff in it is so personal, you know, like there's a lot of the things in the movie are related to like really things, you know, that were in going on in his life or things that they were really interested in. And also like almost everyone in the movie were like friends. So they all like, you know, it's different if it was just like, Oh God, I haven't seen this. I don't really remember what it's about. Or, you know, I don't remember. I don't even know most of these people, but in this case it was like, this is like that group of, crazy friends and then so like i think the movie in itself will help remind him of these things and then he's his commentaries are so great because they're usually like giving you that context of like oh like this is because you know like there's especially this uh the first couple movies there's a lot of heavy catholicism and it's like he grew up in you know uh you know catholic going to catholic school and so there's a lot of those sorts of things going on and then yeah just like being like the weird freaks and you know during the 60s and you know, so like all of these people, even a lot of people, you know, since died. Um, so I think that kind of helps, you know, so you, but also when you listen to it, like you end up like feeling like you understand who all these people are and all of the little like, uh, 
you know, those little nuances more than you would just a normal movie that was just been, had been cast with just actors, you know? Um, yeah, I, I really well, really, this. yeah, it, it, the, the, the dream, like the, the characters, like, um, you know, I had no idea they had a name like the dreamland, mm-hmm. uh, players or like whatever you want, they call them like dreamland. And, um, it's just like, oh, wow, this is like his thing with like how Warhol had his like factory and what do they call him? Like the superstars. Oh, yeah, totally. And that is. So this was like his version. This is like, oh, this is Dreamland and like whatever. And I, I love that so yeah, much. Yeah, it's great. It's kind of like he is you know, kind of this like like his influences are really interesting because they are like on the one hand. Uh, stuff like the Warhol films and a lot of the underground film stuff that was going on with the Kuchar brothers and even, you know, Kenneth Anger and, uh, and Frank Smith and a lot of uh, this stuff. And so there's kind of like this kind of high art or kind of underground stuff. But then he was also, you know, him and his friends were all really influenced by, um, you know, kind of exploitation stuff too. So, you know, he loved, you know, Russ Meyer, Herschel Gordon Lewis um, those guys. It's funny, actually, I think in his commentary, he talks about that, like how he was a little bummed that his movies didn't, could never play to the exploitation audiences, at least of that time, um, because they just had a little bit too much irony or there's a little too much. They weren't just, um, like his movies are very in your face <laughs> in a lot of ways, but, um, you know, it, there's kind of a different attitude towards it that the normal grindhouse audience just wasn't looking for. But then later, like punks and other people kind of, you know, discovered it and it kind of shaped another, yeah. another generation <clears throat> of, uh, of these people. Yeah. He mentioned that, uh, in the commentary. Yeah. He mentioned that commentary for that, uh, that, um, yeah, it's like I was too, uh, exploitation for the art house and I was too art house for the exploitation kind of people. But he's like, I always, um, I was never misunderstood because I always could find a crowd and his crowd was, he, this is how he puts it. He's like, it was gay people that didn't belong with other gay people. And um, like, uh, I guess like punks before they were punks before they had a term. He's like, those were the two that I can really hit. Uh, So he found an audience. It just wasn't an audience that usually crowds in theaters. But as I come to find out, like his first handful of films never were in theaters. Like he had a, yeah, you know, like the, we'll talk about where this premiered. Yeah, yeah exactly. And that was one of those like really funny things because if he had played them in theaters, they would have had to go up um, against the censor board to you know be looked at. And it wasn't until I think this movie it was about ten years later after you know his other kind of like big cult movies had come out, and I think they were getting ready to make Polyester. And so um, the like Baltimore, or the Maryland censor board had to take a look at it because they were going to try playing it in in theaters. And they were just horrified by it. Like, this is just so crazy. But it's also ironic that something so, especially this movie, which um, you know, is so sacrilegious in so many ways, uh, that it was the, the stuff that was shot in churches and also um, premiered in churches. Um, it's, it's really crazy. It's another thing that's really funny about him and a lot of his group of friends is he, he calls them like yippies. Because they, a lot of these guys, you know, came from like upper middle class families. Um, you know, they weren't like, you know, uh, they they all kind of came from some sort of money um, to a certain degree, which you all you wouldn't really expect with how crazy they were and just like the, 
just how strange their their thing was. Like John Waters was very he was probably one of the most political of any of them. So like kind of super left wing, you know, like radicalism mixed with a lot of you know heavy drug use and uh you know, it was just, it's a really strange combination, but it's, it's cool because I think it does kind of look forward to like how a lot of these things would play out. I think, um, yeah, it's like the punk era, how there's a, a big sense of irony and art. I mean, a lot of punk was based off of like Dada as art and, you know, it's like art school kids that, you know, wanted to rebel where a lot of hippie stuff is just very kind of like now very sincere or it's very like ideological in certain ways, but there's not as much of a sense of humor, I guess. Um, it's just that lack of irony. And he had that in spades. So I think that's kind of like what sets it apart and it makes it seem a little bit more ahead of its time. Especially when you think of like some of these people, like uh, like David Lockery, who was one of the ringleaders, and he first became friends with Divine, um, I think back in uh, beauty school, like in the 60s. And he's the guy, he's in all these movies, that uh, he has kind of this like long hair and he has like, it's all bleached out, but he has the grow out, like the the dark roots, kind of like you'd see in the 80s. Um, and it is really weird to see that level of just like kind of like scuzzy glamour that you just don't really associate as much with the 60s. But then also like Divine, the Divine is so like unusual um, for drag because it's not like being pretty or it's definitely like there's, the kind of like the monster element of divine's persona and just being kind of like just disgusting and filthy. Um, and I love it. And then, yeah, John was, yeah, I was going to say John was speaking on, I think it was during the commentary. It was like, yeah, that's what's really cool about listening to the commentary, especially on this is he really does put in a perspective. Like this is, everything is going to go over everybody's head because you're watching it right now. But like the scene in the tent, when they're offering like cheeseburgers for a dollar, a dollar in 1969 for a cheeseburger was astronomical. Yeah. He's like, now I eat cheeseburgers for $18 and I don't even blink. <laughs> yeah. But, um, with divine, you know, dressing in drag and also like painting, um, the face all up all crazy or whatever. He's like, yeah, like usually back in those days, like drag Queens dress like, you know, uh, beauty pageants. Yeah. Like they were going to a beauty pageant, like divine straight up would show up with a chainsaw to a party. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, that was her purse yeah. or what have you. And then also the fact that like divine was never a woman, I guess. I mean, he, he always said like, yeah, yeah. I, I say divine's a man because he is because he never dressed in like, he never dressed like a woman outside of filming because he was so fat and he would just say like, I can't wear women's clothes. I just sweat. Oh Yeah. So it's just like, so like, yeah, when, if we do do the divine her, him thing, well, yeah, it's like, was, yeah, I heard it was his real name. And yeah, he was, you know, it was like divine was like the persona, kind of like Pee Wee Herman and Paul Rubens, you know, it's, it's definitely like, it's a, you know, it's a persona. Totally. And, um, I just was. I I fucking loved Multiple Maniacs. Yeah. Like, I know it's really choppy and hard, but, I mean, the restoration is so amazing. And then the new music that, I, that, that they added over the stuff that they couldn't use, because I guess they used, like, two Elvis Presley songs, which is, like, good luck. Yeah. But they got, like, kind of almost, they're trying to do, it kind of sounded like a poor man's, um, oh, my God, now I can't, uh, 
what's the what's the American Native American guy from oh, the sixties that did? Yeah, it sounded like a poor man's Link Ray. Yeah. Um, kind of at the beginning and at the end, and then they just have like you know, God bless America and just <laughs> other random shit in there, Godzilla, whatever. But like, um, it was, yeah, I had such a great time, and it was just so cool to see. Like, here's this time capsule from 1969, and then yeah, you said that they were yippies, and you know, they they filmed a majority of this either in John Waters' apartment or in front of John Waters' parents' house, and you can see in the background, these houses are gigantic, oh, yeah. so he lived in a very nice, his parents lived in a very nice neighborhood, a yards, in a major like, city. You know, forests, you know. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, then, yeah, they're in Baltimore, so it's like, you're having that much, you have that much real estate, like, you're, you're you know, coming from money. Um, yeah, he, mm-hmm. I think at one point he was talking about, the, there's a joke later on when they're talking about assassinating people, and they're like, you know, Pat Nixon. And he's like, yeah, that one didn't really over as well. My family is my, you know, his uncle was like the undersecretary for the, you know, for this, for uh, the interior, you know, it's like, they're all like old Washington, like his mom's family comes from money. Um, so it's just really funny. Just, but he's like, he's still, I don't know. He's still got it. He's not a poser. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I guess getting into the movie. So yeah, the whole thing begins it with um, this crazy carnival. It's like Lady Divine's uh, cavalcade of perversions. And it's great because David Lockery is like the um, the barker. And he's just like, oh, you know, come see like all these disgusting people, you know, like see homosexuals kiss on the mouth. And there's like all these, you know, things that are supposed to like gross people out, like women with hairy armpits. And there's like, uh, you know, a woman who's like licking this, the bike seat. Um there's like a puke eater and it's great because they have all of the, um, the kind of square straight people that show up to watch it. They're all of the crazy freaks that show up later in the movie. Um, cause there's like Mink Stole, Cookie Mueller and Pat Moran, but they're all dressed like normal people. And they're like, Oh, gross. Um, look at how fat she is or she's a dyke or whatever. And they're just, um, <laughs> they're so crazy, but it's so funny. Cause it's all them. Um, and I just, yeah, I love all of them so much. Um, but then there's just, like, so many, like, just totally ridiculous things. Yeah, I've got it. Oh, good. Yeah, I've got to say, the the, the beginning, um, I love the the credits at the beginning. Oh, yeah. Um were just fantastic. John Waters kind of explained it was just, like, one gigantic roll of um, something in particular. I can't remember yeah, what. Sort of and like then a, also like that they shot everything – the contact paper or something. Yes. And then they, they shot everything on 16 millimeter, um, on news stock that people that like the local news would use when they were filming like remotes or whatever. And he said that this film, I mean like multiple maniacs sat in his attic for, you know, 45 years and it played on road shows and everything. And look how great the restoration is. So he, he urged people, he's like, hey, you should remake this stock. This stock is amazing, and it ages really well. Oh, yeah. I mean, granted, he had Janice and Criterion doing, like, a 4K restoration, but still, oh, yeah. looked great. But yeah, It doesn't look like an Akira Kurosawa film, I'll put it yeah, that way. Totally. Yeah, it, it really does look, it looks dynamite. Um, and right before we see... Um, uh, divine for the first time i just had to mention I, I wrote this down this is a direct quote from waters he just said uh elizabeth taylor was divine's idol and oddly enough um i john waters got to meet elizabeth taylor at the end of her life and 
she kind of looked like Divine. <laughs> <laughs> I was just was like, oh, that's totally. great. <laughs> well, I love how much like uh, I mean, we we haven't talked about it on the podcast. I don't think at all, but uh, yeah, I know they're really, really inf- influenced by Boom, and so there's definitely stuff where I'm like, there really is kind of like a thin line between like, you know, even that era of Elizabeth Taylor and just how crazy she was. Like, you could have taken Boom, Elizabeth Taylor, and plopped her right in the middle of a John Waters movie from this era, and it, you wouldn't blink. It would just make sense. Um, Man, if only he could have gotten Liz to be like in something of his in the 80s when I had, you know, when he had an actual studio, like maybe even after polyester. Like, I don't know if she was still around by the time they started doing like um, hairspray, but I'm like, you couldn't uh, like she was doing made for TV movies by then. She could have totally been in a John Waters movie. She was in the Flintstones movie. She could have been in like Crybaby or like, you know, even Serial Mom or something like, um, yeah, I, I don't really know why that didn't happen or she should have just taken over like after divine died just you know like you know like well you can't get divine anymore so let's just get Liz. oh my god and then she can just play like whatever whatever divine type oh my god um yeah and this yeah divine's entrance this movie just like totally nude just like you know some sort of like you know french renaissance painting you know just it's so like yeah she's just so great (laughs) um and then yeah I, I just love all of that. They end up like, it's kind of like uh, Brian De Palma's Be Black Baby too, where they t- end up taking all the people who have come to the uh, the cavalcade and they like throw a net over them and then like shoot them and it's totally like they rob them of all their shit. Um, and I just, yeah, that was really funny because I don't even think Be Black Baby had come out yet. I mean, they shot this in the late 60s. So yeah, I, that wouldn't have been available. But I'm like, there's definitely like a similar zeitgeist going on. Um, and they, yeah, they were all kind of influenced by a lot of the same stuff going on during that period. So that was just really funny. Uh, yeah, I love, oh yeah. And they end up like shooting the woman up with acid. It's really great. Um, and then we, yeah, we go back when they, yeah, uh, I got to mention, I was going to say, I got to mention that, uh, with the LSD thing, I had no idea that you can shoot up somebody with acid and John Waters points it out. He's like, it's a lost art, but um, you can totally shoot up acid. And the best part about shooting up acid is you're already on your trip before the needle even comes out of the arm. <laughs> That's crazy. I'm just like, oh, my God, like mainlining LSD. I can't even – like you're immediately tripping balls as soon as it goes in your veins. It's bananas. Oh, I, I love this crap. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We see, yeah. we see plenty of needles in this movie too. <laughs> it's not the last one. Um but yeah, then we end up like going back to like John's apartment. And I love that because I love being able to see all the movie posters and the art on his walls. Um, I think he talks about some of the stuff because like he has like some uh, early Warhol prints and things. And he's like, oh, yeah, like, you know, like I just got things. It was like a hundred bucks or, you know, the stuff that he just like was able to get that now would just be worth a fortune. Um, but the movie posters, exactly he has. Uh, so he still has. I think he has like some of them. He still has the Jackie Onassis. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he has, a, he has the Jackie O. Warhol that he said he bought for $100, and he said he still has. And then he has the Russ Meyer original Vixen uh, poster, yeah, and then uh, which you can see on the wall, and then he has um, some Herschel Gordon-Lewis thing. He's got, like, yeah, like, and... is, like uh, there's a couple... There's Pesolini's Tiarema, which is great. Uh, 
Brian, uh, 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 Cul-de-sac by Roman Polanski, Pretty Poison, which is really awesome, Bergman's Hour of the Wolf, I, a Woman, Night Games. Um, yeah, it's just, it's so great. You're like, God, he has such cool posters. And he has, like, a couple, like, Lichtensteins. It's, like, a really cool apartment. Um, but I just love, like, because you'll see some of these posters pop up in some of the later movies, too. You're like, I don't know. It just also adds to that kind of, that feeling of just you end up knowing this whole kind of crowd and these people. Um, I love that. Um, but there's also this whole thing, because the movie, like, they shot it in the late 60s, and it was in that period after the Tate murders, but before anyone knew who actually did it. And so there's this whole plot point where David Lockery is dating, you know, is dating Divine, and they have the little cavalcade, but then he is starting to see um, like Mary Vivian Pierce, like her character. She kind of is the Jean Harlow looking girl, but uh, divine is kind of basically lording over him and has convinced him that he was actually responsible for the Tate LaBianca murders. <laughs> and so there's like, she's like, well, you, you know, she keeps mentioning it, but like he was too fucked up and doesn't remember what happened and all this shit. And then later on in the movie, by the time they finished shooting it, then like Charles Manson had been caught. And so they had to write a whole other scene where they're like, I didn't do it. Or she totally made this thing up. Um, but it's just so crazy because it's such a time capsule of like that very specific window in time. Um, and I just love that. It's so great. Um, yeah. And like just all the people, there's another guy in that, that he's not in any of the other movies, but he's really beautiful. He's like, his name's like Ricky and he's like supposed to be kind of like divines. I thought it was her son at first, but then uh, he's kind of like her other assistant, but he looks so much like Joe D'Alessandro. And I feel he just wanted to have like at least one like really pretty guy in the movie. Uh, that's really great. And then his daughter or divine's daughter is played by cookie Mueller. And she is fucking awesome. She shows up in a bunch of these movies and she um, was kind of just this, like, kind of this this crazy woman that was around the scene, like, in the 70s. And then later she became, like, kind of more famous on her own and was, like, an artist. And apparently she was also, like, Fassbender's cocaine dealer. Um, but then she ended up, like, dying of AIDS in the 80s. But she is so great. And she's got this kind of, like, really, it's kind of, like, very glamorous, but kind of, like, tough face. Um, she's like topless through half this movie and she's just like, I don't know, just like the most fun party girl. Um, I love her so much. Um, yeah, we've got to talk about the, I mean, cause it, it happens next to the scene after John's apartment, but that classy, classy bar that they filmed in the, and they drank at, except, um, during the, the uh, commentary, I believe now. John, Yes, but uh, so John was talking in the commentary. We're on a first name basis, him and I. Um, But uh, he was saying that um, Divine was the only one that refused to go there because it was a wino bar. And it's like, I don't go to wino bars. It's like, well, this is the only place we can afford to drink at. Drinks are 30 cents. (laughs) It's so great. Um, Yeah, I love that. I love I love Edith just being there. Like I love all the hearing the stories about her and just how like just crazy she was and how like, yeah, I think Mink stole and like one of the, on the disc, like she talks about how much like I loved Edith, but she did make me crazy. Cause she was just like a maniac and you, it was so hard working with her. She's so like spacey and just like in her own world. Um, but she just like, you, 
her line delivery is so crazy and she's just so unusual. She really was just like some person that she worked at that bar and they almost kind of knew her and just put her in, you know, these movies, but she's like one of the most memorable stars. Um, and especially in the next movie in pink flamingos is the egg lady. She's so great. Um, and then, but yeah, the, well, she's fantastic in polyester oh, as well. Cuddles. Yeah. I was gonna say she's fantastic in polyester as well. Uh, yeah. And then one of the, uh, the stories that they had about her was like, she was so nuts. She would just be working at that wino bar, which of course they found her there. I mean, you just look at her grill and realize like, that's the only place she can bartend. And, uh, she was just like, it would be like a slow day in there and she'd be like, Hey, you want to see my tits? And she would just like whip them out behind the bar and be like, don't those look nice. And I mean, you don't have to look very long with her fully clothed to realize that they're probably oh, not. No, and well, she, she, she was all about she, it later on. Like, um, you know, she had kind of a side career where she would, you know, pose for all of those, like, uh, like nude novelty cards, and you'll see them where it's just like, you know, she's just like naked with a Santa hat on or, you know, just those very 80s, like, yeah, just comedy greeting cards. She did a lot of that. And then so did Jean Hill, who uh, she shows up later. She's in Desperate Living. And then she's also uh, is like the church lady who bites the tire in polyester of the bus. Um, but, yeah, it was just that whole thing. And she just totally... She just loved it. And then she yeah, she died a little bit after that because they were going to make Pink Flamingos 2 or whatever the sequel to Pink Flamingos. But then after Edith died, um, he just couldn't couldn't put it together. Um, but yeah, then it's like she like Edith ends up calling Divine. And in this movie, too, like almost everyone is using their their real names or their whatever the names they go by. Um, so Edith ends up calling Divine and saying like, oh, like. You know, Mr. David is you know here with this blonde, just whatever you should probably know. And so the divine like freaks out. And she's just like, I'm going to fucking kill him. Like, fuck that guy. And so she storms out of her house and she's on her way to like go to the bar to go catch him with, um, with Mary Vivian Pierce. And she ends up coming across these two freaks in the alleyway who are sniffing glue. And it's like, uh, I can't, Susan Lowe, I think is the woman. And then she's in, she's also the naked woman under the tent earlier. And then some other guy who's just like, got this crazy, scary hippie beard, but then this like little lady dress and heels and he's all done in, in makeup. And so then they, uh, they stop divine and then they like beat her and then rape her on the street. And then she, they just kind of leave her there. And then she like, when she comes to, it's, uh, was it like the infant of Prague? It's like the little, um, like kind of little Jesus that it's like very Catholic and has this little crown. Like he comes to like rescue divine and then take her, like leads her off to the church. And that, I mean, all this is just so crazy. Like what the fuck is going on? But I love like, once they get to the church, it's just so funny. Like, um, cause she's like, you know, there's this big, you know, voiceover and she's, you know, thinking about repenting and trying to like whatever find God. And then Mink Stoll comes out of the confessional and there's this whole thing where it's like, Oh, and then this woman is just like cruising me or whatever. And I just don't like, you know, like having sex with someone of my own gender or whatever. And her like this whole thing, but then they end up totally getting freaky. <laughs> and, uh, Yes, that was the thing was I was, it was blowing my mind because they had to ask permission 
for a church. I mean, they had no money, so they're just like, hey, could we film this church? And somebody had to like pull the pastor or reverend or whatever church they filmed in, which they would not reveal, um, behind closed doors or like in his office and just shoot the shit with them while they filmed all of this. Because when I first saw this, I was just like, that's crazy that they're doing this here. And then the, the scene just keeps going and going and getting crazier and crazier. And I wrote down, before Linda Blair penetrated herself with a crucifix, Divine turned a rosary into anal oh, beads. Yeah. Well, and they're doing it all like Insane. doing the Stations of the Cross, but then it's intercut with um, this whole like, you know, this kind of Christian passion play. So you have like, you know, it's kind of like the Sermon on the Mount. And it's the whole thing where he's like turning the, the bread, the loaves and the fish into like plenty. And it's like all canned tuna and like just loaf spread and like hot dog buns. Um, but it's really cool. And it kind of re- also reminds me of the parts in Scorpio Rising when like Kenneth Anger just ended up getting randomly that uh, religious film of like, you know, Christ and all that stuff. And so we start c- cutting it into the film. And so you're seeing like basically the life of Christ, you know, along with all these other bikers and some other imagery. And it's kind of what happens in this movie, but then it's cutting between, yeah, you know, like this passion play to, you know, like reciting the stations of the cross with like a rosary in her ass. It's so crazy. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, um, that speaking of more like shooting up and stuff, there's a man shooting up heroin in this church, which I love that they got permission to shoot in this church. And it's just like, okay, what can we do in 20 minutes? Anal beads, shoot heroin, sexy, like yeah. whatever, all this stuff. But the guy, I guess, shooting the heroin really did shoot heroin um, for this film. And John was saying that at least in 2016, when they recorded the commentary that uh, he had just died the year before and he remained a functioning heroin addict until the day That's he died. Crazy. Insane to shoot up fucking heroin for almost 50, you know, 50 plus years. And just, I'll put it this way. My uncle did that. Didn't last 50 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ugh, crazy. Yeah, rough. yeah. It's so crazy. Yeah. That, that whole thing is so nuts. Like it's, it's just kind of amazing that like, I think that was one of the things later on when they were trying to get, um, the appropriate sensors and they were like, there was nothing illegal in it. But um, it was just so sacrilegious, just so offensive. Um, but it's also weird, too, because in some ways there's, some, there's, there's certain elements of it that are almost reverent. It's a really weird, it's a weird thing. And Nicky even talks about, like, uh, you know, he was really influenced by, like, Pasolini, who was a big influence on him anyhow. But, like, uh, things like the Gospel According to St. Matthew and uh, and even, like, like Boonwell and, like, Viridiana and a lot of this kind of, uh, like a through line with surrealism and like heavy Catholic imagery and Catholic stories. And this movie has a lot of like big surrealist elements to it, especially later on, like the kind of the climax um, or one of the climaxes, one of the many climaxes in this movie. Um, so yeah, there's like all these kinds of things to it. So even though it is like, it's, it's blasphemous, there's, there's almost something more to it. And I think it's also, ta- you know, that element of the the art element of it that kind of you know as much as it degrades everything it's it's like you're still in someone's you know uh you're in good hands and that might make it more dangerous i don't know uh but that scene is still like amazing it's so insane um then you get this other like scene right after this where it's like mary vivian pierce and david lockery and they have this like uh this kind of like really long like sex scene. And it's funny. So John Waters, 
and this is the first of his real talking movies. And he shoots these like super long, like everything, there's no coverage. Everything's just like one long master um, with, you know, zooms and stuff, but the takes go on forever. And his people are so verbose. There's like, like probably 20 pages with a the dialogue they have to get through. And because uh, he wouldn't, and partly because the film too, he had like it, uh, he didn't have the equipment to really like do like proper editing in the way that like there's a delay with the image and the sound that he wouldn't be able to even cut the sound and the image with the film he had. So you just have to play the whole thing out. So if they fucked up um, any of their dialogue, then they'd have to start over and just do the whole scene all over again. Um but it's like so crazy. There's so many like just Insane. crazy lines where I love like their their fucking Mary Vivian Pierce. It's just like this is better than amyl nitrate, and that's just like all the whatever the fucked up shit they're doing. Um, and then at this point, then they decide that they are gonna go pl- kill Divine so they can like whatever take over. But then also Divine and Mink Stoll have decided that they want to kill David Lockery and then whoever his little bimbo is. And so now we have these two camps of like um, people going down for a showdown. And it's, yeah, it's funny. So they end up going back to like Divine's house and there's like Cookie Mueller and there's that really hot Ricky guy. And they're just like lounging around, just topless, just like smoking a hookah. (laughs) I love David Lockery. He's like, what the fuck are you doing? And he's like, what? I'm just like, hanging out, just smoking dope all day. <laughs> Leave me alone. Um, and then they end up like just having their like little fucking argument. I think it's also when they realize that, uh, you know, Charles Manson's been caught and all this shit. But then Mary Vivian Pierce like freaks out. She ends up shooting and killing Cookie Mueller. And then they don't have to do, so they like throw her body behind the couch and they end up tying up Ricky. And then Divine and Mink Stoll shows up and then they have this, you know, whole showdown, and then they end up killing Mary Vivian Pierce and David Lockery, and then Mink Stoll accidentally kills Ricky, she shoots him, and Divine starts, like, then she ends up killing Mink Stoll, and then she ends up, like, cannibalizing uh, David Lockery, she, like, takes out, like, his heart, and she's just, like, chewing on this whatever, like, cow entrails, and, um, and guts and it's so gross but it's also really cool the way it's shot and just her crazy high contrast makeup like the crazy like black lipstick and shit and it's just like her like ghost white face just all covered in blood it's awesome i love that scene mm-hmm. yeah it's it's great it was like his tribute to herschel gordon lewis oh, yeah. um like, to go back to like one of the other stories that happened in uh the commentary was that when he was shipping, he shipped a print of this film out to Canada because he thought he was going to get distribution in Canada and he never heard back from them. And he like wrote them a letter and called them and like, Hey, I thought we were going to distribution. I thought you were going to start playing or whatever. And then he finally gets a letter from whoever he sent it from. And the only thing it said was film print destroyed. <laughs> and he was just like, Oh my God, how are we going to print this on the poster? Like I need this. I need to figure out a way to spin this the right way. But also like, could you even do that? You know how much that film nope, print cost to make and you just, just watched it and destroyed it. You fucking assholes. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Uh, but and yeah, this film was made for um, 
a budget of $5,000. And this commentary, once again, was recorded in 2016. So the movie that he was referencing came out a year prior. But he was just like, hey, I mean, I made this film. I got it done for $5,000. I don't know what that equals today. I'm not going to do, like, the, the algorithm. But, um, you know, you can you can make films. You can get it done, people out there. Like, don't don't blame your budget. I mean, how much was Tangerine made yeah. for? And it's just like, that's true. I'm just like, you can still, you can, I don't know. This movie was so inspirational to me because, I mean, we had that like brief moment when we did Laced, especially like our short film, which by the way, is going to come up on the four year anniversary that we did that pretty soon. Has it been over four years? It's four years in May. At least four years in May since it came out. I think we shot it probably around this time. It just took a while for me to put it together. But, um, yeah, that's what's nuts is, um, you know, they talked about, like, the dreamland, the characters. Like, the thing was, like, we all lived together. We all ate. We all drank. We all had sex together. We all took drugs together. We did everything. So, like, we were just, like, a, a you know, a living, breathing organism. And we had, like, a very small-scale version of that because, I mean, when we were obsessed with making our, like, two little short films that we did, I mean, that's all we did. That's all you – when you ha- when you have to, like, get into that mode, it's, like, you're not going to have, like, financial gains or, like – a studio or like anything to help you out. Like if you want to make this happen, you have to make this happen. You have to like live, breathe and eat this. And that's what really helped John Waters, not just his like brilliant mind. And then also um, just his drive. But the fact that he was um, charming enough to have as many friends as he did and as many freaks as he had that were just such eccentric characters that it's just like, yeah, of course they're going to be great on film. I mean, they're fucking superstars. Yeah, yeah. They just don't, nobody knows it yet. Cause we live in Baltimore, but it's like, I feel like if they all grew up in New York city, they would have still, you know, they would have been something like no matter where they were. Like they made it happen in Baltimore. They can make it happen anywhere. It was just this, this movie, if anything, if you're out there listening to this and you have just like the bug or like you think you can do something, but it's like, eh, I don't know. It's just like, you, you can, you just have to like, really, really eat, live and breathe it and finish it. No matter what you do, finish what you start because half-assing something or just quitting sucks. Um, okay. Before you get back into multiple maniacs, sorry. Now that I got everybody by the ears, we have a Patreon for $5 a month. You will get over 40 at this moment in March, 2021. Uh, you will get over 40 episodes that we have done. Um, and they're just going to keep climbing because every time we release an episode on this platform, you will get there will be another episode waiting for you on Patreon only if you're a member. Some of those episodes include um, Woody Allen's Broadway Danny Rose because somebody still got to talk about him in a good light. Uh, Time Me Up, Time Me Down, uh, the 80s Pedro Almodovar classic, The Queen's Gambit, that show everybody watched on Netflix last year, um, our favorite film discoveries of 2020, um, Bloodbeat. Uh, a forgotten 80s or 70s, I don't even know, psycho classic. Um, we we made up our own uh, all-night horror movie marathon like we did on this pod, but we had so much left over. We did it again on the Patreon. We did uh, a couple quarantine mixtapes of stuff that we watched during uh, quarantine. We played the director's game, which was made by Sam Ishmael, who was the creator of Mr. Robot. He came up with that game. He is not on the podcast. We did Nick Cage's filmography. We did Bob Co- uh, Bob Fosse's filmography, not Bob Costas' filmography, Bob Fosse's. Uh, we talked to The Irishman. 
We talked about uh, Dick Miller when he died. We did an episode on Cockfighter. I doubt there are any Cockfighter episodes out there, but if you don't know who Warren Oates is or if you don't worship the ground that he walked on, then you, there's something wrong with you, motherfucker. We also talked about Bonnie's Kids, a forgotten classic. Kung Fu Hustle, a well-known classic. We did a huge episode on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood when it came out. That was so good, I almost wanted to put it on the regular feed, but you can't do that. you got to buy the feed. We did The Beach Bum. We did uh, Why the John Wick Movies Are So Good. We did the film noir classic uh, Odds Against Tomorrow. We covered the show The Deuce on HBO. We talked about the Criterion Channel, Filmstruck Channel, TCM. We did an episode on Sunset Boulevard. That's right, Sunset Boulevard. We talked about Jordan Peele's Us. We talked about uh, the forgotten hidden or the forgotten 80s sci-fi movie, The Hidden. There it is. Uh, We talked about It Happened One Night, Serenity, which was like the biggest piece of shit in 2019. That turned out to be the greatest viewing experience that I've had in a long time. We talked about Die Hard with a Vengeance, Sam Peckinpah's filmography, Robert Altman's filmography, the short film The Beast, that the episode is actually twice as long as the short film itself. We talked about the entire filmography of Tom Cruise. Sorry, Derek. And we talked about our favorite moments in movie theaters. And that's pretty much almost all of the things that we've done on Patreon. Now, one of those at least has to drive your interest. So for $5 a month, you can listen to it and all the other ones that I mentioned. And fuck it. Just subscribe for a month. Listen as many as you can. Cancel. I don't care. Just at least get on there. So Psychotronicast, just search us on uh, Patreon or just go to patreon.com slash Psychotronicast and for $5 a month, you will get all those episodes and more because every time... Screw it, I'm done. Sorry, that conver- that that was a long <laughs> thing. But it's over now it and we can go back to this. Episode. It really was. Sorry, I just... I know I, I mentioned at the top and maybe the bottom of every episode, and I know people press that 13, that 13, that 15 or 30 second fast forward button. So I thought I'd hit them in the middle or near the end <laughs> of an episode for once. And uh, you won't have to hear something like that again. So sorry I had to subject you guys to that and ladies. But there it was. So anyway, multiple maniacs. Yeah. Take it away, well, Derek. No, Sorry. I was going to say, like, the, the next, like, I think it's probably the second most memorable, or maybe the first most memorable thing after the, uh, the, uh, the rosary job was the, uh, lobster rape scene, which is just so crazy and amazing in this movie. And the lobster they put together, uh, Visit Perina put together is so cool. They did a really good job, like, building it. Um, and this is also going to, like, kind of goes to, like, all the surrealist stuff. Like, there's, like just so much like for, I don't know why the lobster is like this kind of surrealist icon, but um, you know Salvador Dali used it a lot. Like there's a really famous dress by the designer Scaparelli, like from like the 40s um, that had like this huge like just lobster going up it. Um, and even like you know Yorgos Lanthimos when he did uh, his movie called The Lobster, uh, that has a lot of those those elements of it. And this is just kind of in that whole I don't know that weird surrealist canon of lobster use. But I love it. And then... Uh, Same here. I had no idea it was coming. Oh, yeah. So when Divine gets raped by a lobster, I'm like, multiple maniacs. And I thought that was going to be the movie. But oh, no, 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 no. We're not there yet. That's like what finally pushes Divine over the edge. And so then, like, she goes on the rampage, just turns, like, uh, 
just whatever just roams the streets of Baltimore. And there's a scene where she like fucks up a car that goes on forever. Um, and then just like it's just terrorizing everybody and just killing people. And then eventually like starts chasing everybody. And again, it's like all the crazy, like the crazy, you know, the freaks that have been in the movie the whole time are all just dressed as like normal civilians. And Divine's just chasing them all around Baltimore. Just totally it's it's insane. It's great. Until eventually the National Guard has to come out and take Divine down. <laughs> and it's and that's it. Yeah. And that's a wrap. It was quite the experience. I didn't. Well, actually, I knew I was in good hands because I love the credits scroll shirt. But then, yeah, when it starts with the carnival barker and he's just giving an amazing performance, just trying to get people into that tent and that it's all free. And then they just show all the weird shit going on. And then they end up like robbing the people and Divine shoots one point blank range. And I'm just like, I, I mean... I've never double negative. I've never not had a good time with um, John Waters, and I don't think I ever will. Like, I don't think I'll ever watch something of John Waters and be like, Meh. I even like, you know, I know Serial Mom isn't highly regarded, and I watched it for the first time recently, and I was like, this is yeah, good. It's good. I, I like Mom. There's plenty to pick up from it. I was, it was weird because like I, I grew up like you know most people my age watching Hairspray on television. They would play it constantly, and I, I loved that movie. And then when I got into middle school, me and my buddy uh, would always rent, like, the same ten movies when we do, like, these sleepovers, and one of them in the rotation would be uh, Cecil B. Demented, oh, yeah. which is, like, another uh, Waters film that, like, you know, you know kind of goes under the, under the mat when it comes to the rest of the stuff that he's done. And I mean, I loved it then. I actually have not seen it since I was like maybe 13, 14 or whatever, but I've probably seen it like, yeah, it's probably, I've probably seen it like 20 times though. And then you look at that cast and then just every, almost everyone in it has gone on to be something like pretty big. So whoever casted that film just has a great eye. I'm sure John had a lot to do with it. Like she's one of the women in in the movie, one of the actors in this movie, but she, does a lot of the casting, and she's also uh, one of the main casting directors for The Wire. Um, but yeah, so I think, I think she's mm. cast most of his movies. Well, she should, Jesus. I mean, she cast The Wire. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, what I a she fucking home all the run majors, that was. But I know, like, I know she's like won like multiple Emmys for it. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's kind of like that. I just love that, besides John Waters, I love that there are Emmy winners on, in this cast. Oh, yeah. Like, it just goes to show, like, it's just, just be a freak. Just do your, th- if well, you're the a freak, is, just they, be they one. Freaks, but then the, I think they are, yeah, they are also really professional. As much as it looks amateurish, it's like, they all, like, really, like, they all took it really seriously, you know? So I think there's, like, that thing that got it done. And that's, like, what kind of separates them. Because, I mean, there's plenty of people who are, like, freaks just make terrible movies. <laughs> like, you can, you mm-hmm. can you turn on Shutter well, and you can find a few. But, uh Oh God! Yeah, they even mentioned that was in the because they it was almost like a where are they now kind of um, a bonus feature that they have on the Criterion channel and the disc. Uh, if you have either one, you'll find it there. But it's just like showing you know the cast that's still remaining now, and most of them look just like up upright citizens, except for the I can't think of either of their names. That's just me though. But. Um, the guy who still has like the crazy mustache who looks like a total burnout, and then the girl sitting oh, next yeah. to him. That, 
looks like kind of like an aged out goth chick. I'd still love them, but you know they've got their shit together. They just like look kind of bizarre. But otherwise, everybody else looks like they can be your grandma or grandpa, and I oh, love yeah. it. It just goes to show you, like, I don't know. I, I, I yeah, I was just, I, I love it. I love that they all still attend. Um, like, uh, John Waters throws a Christmas party every year in Baltimore, and they all still go, and they're all still so close. And it just is really heartwarming and charming. Yeah. And it just makes you love John Waters even more. It's just like he takes care of his own, and also his own can take care of themselves. Oh, yeah. Nobody's like, Riding coattails or piggybacking off of them. They all went and done their own things, whatever they may be. And I mean, that guy who made the lobster was a, um, a set designer for a zillion yeah. years in Hollywood. And he or, did, he did a lot yeah, of production so, design, especially starting with um, like Pink Flamingos. Like this one didn't have a whole lot of production design. I think most of his energy of this movie was put into building the lobster. Um, yeah, Vincent Perino. But yeah, so then later on, like especially Pink Flamingos, when he really starts seeing like what he's doing, and it has it has definitely like a look um, that starts you know appearing in his movies. But yeah, these people they all they all cared. I mean, just the ones that, like just who died young, you know, like David Lockery, like he ended up dying like in the late seventies. I think he like overdosed on acid or he did something really or like angel dust or something. Um, yeah, what I what I read was that he took angel dust and broke a glass and like freaked out and rolled around and cut himself yeah. too many times and just bled out on PCP. Yikes! Um, yeah, one of um, another one of my favorite stories that uh, John told was that when he would tour this film, if you remember before Divine walks in the bar she gets hassled by the cop oh yeah and she's like oh yeah we had to rent we had to rent that cop outfit and we actually never took it back because uh we used that for the road show and we would take it divine and i would take our print and we would go across the country and we would uh host like screenings of the film and i would come out and then divine would come out we talk about the film and then we would get somebody that was in attendance that night that can fit into that cop outfit to fit in the cop outfit and to pretend to come out and try to arrest us for showing the film and then divine would murder them on stage <laughs> and then the film would start and i'm like oh my fucking god it'd be so, i mean like especially like at their age like you know they're in their 20s and they're doing this but to like see that just to see Divine, like, first of all, alive, and then, like, in her 20s, and then, like, John's coming out, and they're introducing this movie, and then this cop comes out, and you think it's real, and then they murder, and then the movie starts, and you're just like, how does it not, like, bring the house like, down? It's like, I come think on. it's also, like, why they ended up all, like, kind of moving out to San Francisco, is, like, once they kind of, like, teamed up with the Coquettes, because they had, like, kind of a similar thing going on out there, where they were just, like, the crazy freak drag, and then they would put on these, like, reviews before, like, their little films, um and so then when they all teamed up it was just like divine went out there and it was like oh it, this all makes sense now um yeah it's just it's so great that that people were just like things are so crazy then <laughs> just like i don't know i the know weird, the weird underground thing i think that things it's tough for things to be truly underground anymore just because like the internet's kind of compressed everything like things that would be like underground to be a sensation. They end up like hitting TikTok or something. And then like everyone's into it all over the place. But, um, you know, there's a period when things weren't as connected. So there'd be these weird little enclaves of just like, just really strange shit going on. It's so great. Yeah. Well, all right. That was uh, multiple maniacs. Uh, we've got three more films. Yeah. 
in the 70s? Yeah. Awesome. No, I'm so glad. I, I know that um, John Waters is near and dear in your heart, and he's he is in mine too, but um, we did Polyester. If anybody wants to check that out, that's actually probably like episode like 23 or 24, so we were kind of you know, still new in the game. So don't, don't hate us. If you go back and listen to it for the first time and we're, we don't have our shit together yet, but the film polyester is, uh, it's just unassailable. And just like all of his films, they're so fucking good. I know people have problems with some of his later work and we won't even get into that now because we're talking about the seventies. But, um, yeah, I think next is pink flamingos. Oof. Can't wait. I haven't seen it since you showed me um, however many years ago. It's probably like the first year we started hanging out. You had that had to be one of the first things you ever showed me. It's definitely one of those things. Everybody has to see at least once. Um, Yes. And it's so nuts because um, I lived in a very nice neighborhood. I lived in a shitty apartment, at least my first apartment, in a very nice neighborhood in Portland, Oregon, when I first moved here in 2010. And there was a breakfast spot owned by this like cute old gay couple right down the street called Cadillac Cafe and was dope because you walk in and there is a pink Cadillac literally in the little area in, in the restaurant itself. But then if you sat at the bar, if, um, if you sat at the bar to eat, there's a giant poster of pink flamingos. And then they had like this other thing that was made by like some artist or whatever that had like this big picture of divine. And uh, she was like shooting her like Ray gun or whatever at this thing but they actually had like some like original pink flamingos art shit behind the bar. And I had no idea. I, I, everybody's heard of pink flamingos, even if they haven't seen it. But then after I saw it at your place for the first time, um, going back there, especially when my parents were in town, cause they love that place so much. It's a parent spot. It's like an old person spot. I would just laugh because I'm like, Oh my God, if these motherfuckers knew <laughs> what they were staring at, at the bar, if they knew what this movie was, they would be like, what is this doing here? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, um, I really hope that place survives the pandemic because I loved everybody that worked there. And um, yeah, if it, if it does, I got to take you there so you can see the pink flamingo shit. Cause I don't think I've ever taken you there, but it's insane anyway. So sorry. Um, I, I went off on a tangent like I usually do, <laughs> but uh, we'll be back with more tangents. All right. So until then, let's keep it purely casual. Until then. Bye.